happier employees that feel more comfortable, more aware, more present, more connected to others are more productive. So we've actually got the research that shows that connection to a sustained mindfulness practice. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month I'm joined by someone whose job until recently I didn't even know existed. And I'm so glad that it does because he's Matt Champion and his job is mindfulness teacher at the SAP Global Mindfulness Practice. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Lucy. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Now, it feels really relevant to get you on at the moment to talk about mental health and going back to work. Discussions about the future of work seems to be really part of the national conversation, really. Um, And I want to dig into a lot of those uh, topics, how mindfulness can help. But let's start by talking about you and finding out how such a job even comes to exist. So so tell me about the job and tell me how you got involved in it. Well, yes, as you say, it's an interesting job. It is actually becoming slightly more commonplace in in the workplace now. The mindfulness journey SAP really started with Peter Bostelman, who is, we have a chief mindfulness mindfulness officer here at SAP and uh, there's not too many of those at the moment but again they're on they're on the increase peter had a vision that he could bring mindfulness into the workplace he actually attended a course at google called search inside yourself which was developed by someone called chade meng tan and he wrote a book called search inside yourself and chade at the time wanted to see if he could bring together emotional intelligence mindfulness and neuroscience Uh, into a personal development program, but as part of an organizational development program at at Google. Um, And that's the course that we teach. So Peter went on that course and was so inspired that he brought that into SAP. Seven or eight years ago, when you say the word mindfulness or meditation, people might look at you a bit strange, you know, what's that got to do with the workplace? Uh, so there was a bit of a uh, initial struggle, actually, in terms of it being actually accepted as something that we do in the workplace. But credit to Peter and the team and everybody that's uh, around the global mindfulness practice. It's developed over the past eight years into one of our most successful programs at SEP. But my journey, I've been a mindfulness teacher now at SEP for the past three years, and I found it very interesting. I'd always had my own personal mindfulness practice, which has helped me through my life, but I didn't realize that there was a a workplace program. And then I started looking at how I could get more involved. So I became a mindfulness ambassador in the UK and started talking to people about how it can help. Uh, And then I trained to be a teacher. Yeah, it's, uh, if you'd have asked me three or four years ago, would I be teaching mindfulness in the workplace? The answer would have been, didn't even know you could do that. And uh, now here I am. So yeah. Exactly. I mean, do you have a techie job as well then that you have to do alongside this? Kind of. Um, I'm I'm partially techie. Um, I'm an innovation director in the UK. So I am generally working with customers and helping on customer engagements. I do a lot of design thinking work. Um, It's about human-centered design and how do we take an empathetic approach to problem solving. So I do a lot of um, workshop facilitation, coaching, you know, thinking about how we engage differently 
with customers, different approaches to help customers solve problems and uh, obviously to look at how SAP's technology and services can help to solve those problems as well. So I bet you never imagined that mindfulness would be pushed to the fore in the way that it has been. Those, I mean, with the pandemic, things have really intervened to push this up the agenda, hasn't it? Absolutely. When I first started a few years ago, I could see the impact it was having on my fellow colleagues and employees. People would come to me and say, you know, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm able to sleep a little bit better or I'm having a better conversation or I'm listening more to my partner or to my family. Um, and those little small anecdotes were just amazing um, to hear. But also, you know, we measure the, the results of the program as well. So we're actually able to see through self-evaluation of people that attend the program, we're actually able to see reduction in stress, improvement in creativity uh, and all sorts of other things that actually help people to improve their well-being um, and and as you say in the pandemic we've had more people attend in the past sort of 15 16 months it's worked really well actually virtually and and you know, more and more people have stepped forward and said yeah i'm interested in this i need some tools i need something to to help uh, so it's been really great to actually be able to deliver it to people and to continue it during this time and also the global mindfulness practice set up more mindful moments we call them so a mindful moment in the morning and a mindful moment in the afternoon to cover all time zones and open that up to all employees and we've got about 101,000 employees globally so people were able to join those as well and there was something very nice about that helping people to be with what's happening and be more present and be more aware and hopefully calm but also that coming together, that community feeling of, of people coming together from all around the world to practice together. It was quite nice. Absolutely. There's so much going through my head right now. Um, <laughs> what I'd say is that for me, let's not make it all about me, but uh, mm -hmm. I've met a whole new load of colleagues that I've never met before online because um, our company was acquired and we've had to get to know team members without ever meeting them. And that's quite a new skill. Have you come across that? Have you got any tips for people who might be in that situation where they're actually having to talk to people virtually and they, they can't sort of necessarily read the room, really? Yeah, it is a challenge. Um, and in the UK this year, before I answer that, we've had we've got an intern program that most of those interns never set foot in the office. They might have gone in once or twice. I can't even imagine what that must be like. Yeah, virtual meetings can be tricky. I think people have got used to them over the over the sort of past year, year and a half. I always did a lot of virtual meetings even before the pandemic. I think checking in actually is quite important and it's something that people don't often do in a meeting, you know. People will often sort of say, hey, how are you? Oh yeah, I'm okay, hey, how's the weather? You know, the small talk, which is which is fine, it has its place. But often we don't actually stop to say, how are you really? How are you actually doing? Now, that question in a small team meeting, if you can build up trust and psychological safety within that small team, can be answered very honestly. And, and I have seen people being more honest with 
how they actually are, especially in the past year. Oh, you know, it's crazy at home. It's too noisy here. I'm feeling really, you know, people really opened up. I hope that that kind of carries on, actually, because we're not saying that we want to necessarily get deeply into people's personal lives, but actually just understanding someone's mood and where they are I think can help to create more of a connection because when we just see someone on the other end of the video, it's sometimes hard to really understand what's going on and, and where they are. But of course, then it's personal choice and you have to respect people's boundaries. But one of the things that also can help is we promote a minute to arrive. And again, this doesn't always work in all contexts, but taking just a minute at the beginning of a meeting, just to have a breather, if we lead it in a mindful way, we might just invite people. It's very optional. Just invite people to take a few breaths, take three deep breaths just before we get started. And then for those that don't want to do it, we just say, it's just a moment just to collect your thoughts. Be ready for what's coming up. Now, that's challenging on a virtual meeting because obviously you have people turning up at different times. But one of the things that SEP has done is actually change the default time in Outlook when we create meetings so that if I create a meeting for three o'clock, instead of it running to 3.30, it defaults to 3.25. And if I create one for 3.30, it defaults to finish at 3.55. That sounds like a small thing, but what it's prompted people to do is realize that you need a few minutes between meetings and that we can't be running people back to back, even if it's just five minutes to have a buy a break or a drink or something. So it's small things like that can really help especially during these times. No, absolutely. I hadn't realised they were doing that, but that sounds very sensible. You touched on something there about taking a few breaths. And I've noticed that sometimes if somebody sort of asks you to do something and you're not sure about it, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because they can they can yeah. see you kind of your eyes darting around the room and you're starting to feel panicked and thinking, have I got enough time to actually get that done? And how am I going to tell them that it's, that it's making me feel uncomfortable? Have you got any advice about those moments? Yeah, you have to respect everybody's perspective and position. Some people don't want to have their cameras on. Maybe when we're taking a moment to have a breath, it's very optional to have your camera on. I think sometimes, especially in the past year or so, people have felt the need to always have the camera on and that can create uh, feelings of anxiety and pressure. Um, especially as to your point, when you're asking someone to do something slightly different from what they're used to doing. So I think that that can help. And also making it optional, you know, using very invitational and optional language. You know, I invite you to take a few breaths before we start. So when, when you're leading it, not telling people what to do, but just inviting them and giving them the opportunity and the space to just arrive Sometimes we, and I'm sure everyone out there feels it, you know, even virtually, we are rushing from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. And often our mind is actually in the last meeting, it's in the next meeting, and it's not in this meeting. <laughs> Uh, and that's quite natural, the mind wandering from what's happened before or to what's going to happen next. That kind of rumination is a, is a part of the human condition. So actually, if you can just give people the space just to calm and become just a little bit more present, I think it, it helps. But you have to give everyone the opportunity to do that in the way that 
works for them. I'm beginning to see how it could actually make you far more productive if you are thinking about the task and actually getting something done rather than just chit-chatting round and round in circles, which I know does happen in meetings, apparently. (laughs) Can do, yeah. (laughs) So the productivity piece is is important, really, because managers might say, why are we doing this? Um, Ask you to justify yourself. Are you able to point to any... um, you know, facts and figures about how it does make people more productive in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, the word productivity is uh, challenging to use with, with mindfulness and with this area. Um, uh, we do have stats and we, as part of our business case, I mean, we've seen, we've seen something like a, a two to 300% return on investment for the mindfulness program globally. And Peter, our chief mindfulness officer, talks about that. And also we, we know that happier employees that feel more comfortable, more aware, more present, more connected to others are more productive. So we've actually got the research that shows that connection to a sustained mindfulness practice. It's hard to put a specific figure on productivity, you know, specifically. Um, but certainly we've seen that people have reported feelings of feeling happier, feeling more connected to their work, uh, increases in creativity, less stress. Certainly not um, saying that everything is turned into unicorns and rainbows. It's not really necessarily about that, but we've certainly seen Im- improvements in it. And actually, we can also equate some of our findings. We can link those to the Business Health Culture Index as well. You know, that's a measure of the, the kind of health of the business, of the people in the business. And uh, there is a direct correlation to the business health culture index and our financial performance. And I think that's something which many people wouldn't realize. The first ever podcast I did in this series was about employee engagement and some sort of shocking figures about the lack of employee engagement. So this seems like one sort of answer, really, about how you can get people to be more involved. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that, especially during the past year, our courses have been very diverse in terms of the different departments and different countries that that attend. We buddy people up at the end of the course and they go on a 28-day challenge together because as you probably know, with any enablement, with any training, you know, you if you don't practice it, you forget 80% of it pretty much as you're walking out of the room. So what we do is we set people a challenge uh, with a buddy and uh, it's an accountability body so they kind of check in with each other over that 28 days and uh, and then after that they can become part of a local community and there's also virtual events that people can be a part of it creates more connection to others in the business you meet people that you may not have ever worked with before or ever had the opportunity to work with and that can be across the organization and up and down the organization as well. So, yeah, it, there is a definite um, community aspect to it as well. So I guess the next thing that we're going to all have to deal with is the um, anxiety of whether we go back into the workplace. Um, some people have already. I mean, do you suggest that people just suck it up and go back? Or do we have honest conversations with our managers about what we want? What's the sort of SAP position on this? That is the big challenge, isn't it, right now, Um, particularly in the UK. Pretty much all the restrictions are now uh, gone. SAP's position on it, Pledge to Flex, is basically a 100% trust-based working arrangement with your manager. So Christian Klein, our CEO, announced that in, in June. 
And what it really means is that as employees, we have to work out what works best for us, whether that be 80% at home and 20% in the office or 20% at home and 80% in the office, whatever works best for us. And actually, it goes even further than that, because it's really about talking with your manager about what arrangement really works best for you. So, you know, if someone wants to work out first thing in the morning, uh, take a run, you know, run an errand or that kind of thing, then, you know, that's understood and that's accepted. We've all got busy lives, families, things happening. So, yeah, it's very much a, a trust-based working arrangement. Our offices are open again. People are beginning to go back in. What's nice, actually, uh, they've really thought about how to bring people back into the office. We've got a simple sticker system in our uh, Clockhouse Place office. You put a sticker on. I think it's yellow if you're prepared to shake hands and get closer to other people and interact and socialize and chat. And then I think it's blue if you're a little bit more cautious and you'd prefer to continue to socially distance. So I think small things like that can actually really help people because you don't want it to be awkward. You know, when if I come walking towards you in the building and you don't really want to get close to people, what's the visual cue to tell me <laughs> apart from, <laughs> you know? So I think it's about being sensitive to people's needs and we're asking employees to have discussions with their managers about what works for them. Um, but we're certainly not pushing people back into the office. I mean, a large amount of our employees travel quite a lot, work with customers, you know, they're out in the field anyway. So a lot of that's still happening virtually. Um, but there was a town hall um, a few weeks ago that took place in our office. So things are beginning to start um, moving again. But what I would say to anybody listening is have an honest conversation with your manager. I don't think there is such a thing as going back to normal. Um, I've said this all the way through the pandemic. Things are now different. I would advise people not to feel under the pressure to have to return to what they had before. For me, I work a lot from home. I used to travel quite a lot. Now I don't, which is really nice. Um, I have a short commute into the office, probably compared to most. It's like a 35, 40 minute drive. You know, I choose what I choose where I need to be and what I need to do based on, on what's happening. And, you know, I'm trying to help out with uh, family life here. We've got children. So, yeah, things can get a little bit busy here at times. So, yeah, I think it's about finding the right balance. Um, and as a mindfulness teacher, obviously, I would say that. But it is about finding that balance and being compassionate about yourself and your needs. Um, and, yeah, having that conversation with your manager. I think giving people choice is always a huge positive, isn't it? But I yeah. guess as we get older, we know more about yeah. what we want. And when we're younger, we don't necessarily know what the hell it is that we want. Yeah, that's an important point. I mentioned interns earlier on, you know, and placement students who hardly ever set foot in the building. It's really hard to develop a network and to get to know other people if you aren't having those corridor conversations or bumping into people at lunch or the coffee shop or or just, you know, being introduced to people casually, that doesn't happen so well online. So I think that will be the shift. The office spaces will become social hubs and meeting hubs. And I think it will be more about bringing people together 
when we need to, but then people balancing, you know, I, I quite like having the focus of working from home when I'm working on certain pieces of work, but then I need to be in the office to actually, you know, meet other people and uh, find out what's going on in other areas. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the way that it's heading. Yeah, absolutely. And I've even sort of heard of offices being reconfigured to create fewer working spaces and more social spaces just so that that can happen. So I hope it does happen. Yeah. Before I let you go, if we're not able to come to one of your workshops or we're not lucky enough to have a workplace that holds mindfulness session, are there any apps or anything that you would recommend that we can sort of use under our own steam? Yeah. So one of the ones that I use a lot is an app called Insight Timer. It's got a free and a subscription uh, offering. And there are literally thousands and thousands of mindful practice and meditations. There's also some yoga on there as well. I really enjoy using that app. A lot of my teacher community use that as well. Also Headspace and Calm. Those are two which people may have heard of before. I think both of those, usually you can get a trial subscription before you get started like 30 or 60 days. So I recommend people, um, you know, using that to get, to get started. And then the other thing that I would mention for those people in the workplace who are thinking about maybe workplace mindfulness, uh, I'm part of a community called the Mindful Workplace Community in the UK, and I actually helped to, to set that community up. And now I'm an advisory board member, and that is mindfulworkplace.community. That's a community of people from from businesses across all industries globally who are talking about and sharing how how to develop mindfulness in the workplace both from a practitioner point of view so those that want to help deliver those services into the businesses and also have businesses that want to actually develop it um, so we're learning from each other it's kind of a, a peer exchange community so that's that's a good place to go if anybody's interested in developing their own mindful practice within within business that's brilliant matt thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast and you've given me um, a lot of resources that i can link to so i won't read them all out now but i will put them in the notes so that people can refer to them and they can click through to uh, to some of the websites that you've suggested sap and and your own website as well we shouldn't leave you thank out you. Of that. <laughs> so great to have you on thank you very much see you next time bye thank you Bye-bye.